Everywhere. Welcome to episode number 350 of Blast Points. This is Jason. And this is Gabe. We're talking about Mandalorian chapter 20, Foundling. This episode messed me up all day. I haven't been right all day. Now, luckily, I didn't have to drive my son to school this morning. He caught the bus because I don't know where I would have ended up. Because, yeah, my mind was racing. This is like why I get up in the morning episodes like this the good stuff somebody was saying it's the shortest episode of the mandalorian ever but somehow it's the most jam-packed episode ever too yeah this one might have out and blooded the uh the heiress which was our previous short and sweet that you gotta watch it back to back because it's too good and too fast and too short and this one is even more faster and shorter and intenser no, it totally was Slayer, Rain, and Blood. Because, side note, if you're not familiar with our Mandalorian The Heiress episode, we compared it to the classic Slayer album, Rain and Blood, on cassette. Because the cassette of Rain and Blood, the album is so short that both sides are the entire album. So you listen to it like in your car and it ends and then it, the tape flips in your car and you listen to the whole thing again. And you know what? No complaints. This is that episode again, because I got up at five in the morning, watched the foundling. I still had time to watch it one and a half more times. <laughs> and I didn't mind. It was totally Slayer Rain and Blood where I was just like, yeah, this is great. Let's go. Let's do it again. Well, and what's crazy too is this morning, usually like as soon as I get up, I look at Disney Plus on my phone just to see how long the episode is so I can like plan my morning. For whatever reason, I didn't this morning. And watching the episode, I had no idea how much time had passed. And it it felt like, I don't know, it almost felt like it was as long as last week's episode. And then when it was over and I looked, I was like, that was only 30 minutes? That's insane. <laughs> That's where I was too. I was like, it's only 5.30 a.m. Roll it again. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's talk about the big thing. About the best part. <laughs> the best of the best. The return of Ahmed Best. Keller and Beck. Oh my God. They did such a good job. Well, they meaning Carl Weathers, who did an incredible job. The elevator scene where you're like in the elevator waiting for the doors to open. Like, who's it gonna be? Who's it gonna be? What's gonna happen? And yeah, I almost lost my mind when the doors opened because I, I couldn't. It was like Bo-Katan seeing the mythosaur. I was like, did I really see that? Is that really what I'm seeing? I was I was dumb. And I thought it was going to be Anakin. I was just like, oh, well, here comes Anakin at the end of the elevator. But when it was Ahmed Best, Keller and Beck, I was like, oh, oh, that's really cool. And it's it's a neat thing where for people like us it's a perfect kind of cameo but also someone that doesn't know like behind the scenes stuff doesn't know what the actor who played Jar Jar what he looks like in real life or who Ahmed Best is it's just it's literally just a cool Jedi or it's the oh it's the Jedi from the game show on YouTube <laughs> which is still <laughs> an awesome character to choose regardless of it being Ahmed best the real world thing too of bringing Ahmed best in for this role i mean since the beginning of this series since we found out he was a jedi or even since especially last year with the episode with with ahsoka the jedi there was always, oh, who saved Grogu from the temple? Was it Barriss You know, was it Ahsoka? Was it this? Was it the? Was it who? Was it them? 
and to make it Kellerin Beck. Giving that to Ahmed Best is just so cool, just in the real life thing. I mean, we were there in 2019 at that Phantom Menace panel in Chicago with the standing ovation. And that was so cool. And it was so like genuine and real. And the look on his face when that whole like Wintrust Arena was standing up and clapping and kept clapping for him. And then to see him back in this role with two lightsabers and saving Grogu, getting Grogu to safety, like such an important part of this story. I don't know. It was just so cool on so many levels. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty amazing that they decided to go this route. And then, yeah, it would have been cool enough for him just to open the elevator and like send him down another hallway. But yeah, like you said, he got to fight with two lightsabers. He got to fly on an awesome what bark speeder bike and we got to fly back through Coruscant, like subtly tying into last week's episode. We got to go to all the all the cool locations from last week. We even got another Star Wars space train. And then, yeah, just when you're you know losing your mind and can't believe what you're seeing, they end up on the landing platform, and it's a Naboo shuttle and Naboo security guards that are waiting to rescue any Jedi that can escape. When I tell you. That at first, my eyes didn't believe it. <laughs> I was like, that kind of looks like like a Naboo show. That kind of looks like one of Padme's ships, but it can't be. And even the Naboo guards, I was like, those look like Naboo guards, but it can't be. It was, it's like the Mythosaur. Like, I'm, maybe I just dreamed it. I don't know. But then it was maybe the second time I watched it when it went to the, the B-side of Rain and Blood, where I was like, no... That's a Naboo ship. The inside's a Naboo ship. Those are Naboo guards. This ship is from Naboo. And then I really started to spiral out of control. Yeah. Because then you start thinking, well, how, how is this ship here? And it's like, well, Bale knows what's going on. He escaped the temple. Padme knows what's going on. She's watching it. Maybe Bale called her. And then what? it wasn't until later in the morning when it was like, what, you texted me. You're like, maybe it was Senator Jar Jar that sent the shuttle. Lost my mind at that point. The Jedi in the hallway in the beginning, yeah, they're like, get him to Kelleran. And then when Kelleran gets to the landing platform, the Naboo people, they say like, what What do they say? Like, what about the others? And Kelleran Beck is like, there are no others. And Kelleran Beck on Jedi Temple Challenge, his whole thing right, was that he trained padawans he trained like young jedi and when he's riding through coruscant with grogu he's like we're gonna we're going somewhere like we're meeting a friend or something so he knows where this is the ship is parked far away somebody called and parked that ship there and it's naboo royal security guards so i it's either gotta be padme who watched the temple burning and called to save the children. We got to get kids out of there. Or it was Senator Binks. I think at this point, I feel like it's both of them. Why wouldn't it be both of them? They're both the senators. They're, they both are friends of the Jedi. It's like if one of them found out something was going on, they would tell the other one. So it's kind of like, I don't even think we need to decide who it was. It was like, it was both of them, right? It was, the uh, the senators from Naboo that did what they could to save the Jedi kids. Both of them are super cool too, yeah, in different ways. Because if it is Senator Binks, that's genius because then he's friends with Keller and Beck. Yeah, and of course they are. Of course they're friends. Right. And if, it's, if Jar Jar is Jar Jar and he's hanging out at the Jedi Temple, he's going to be talking to the Jedi kids. Right. So of course they're going to be friends. Like in a completely different way, if it's Padme watching it from the window and she got on the horn and made a call, then it's like really awesome because she wanted to save young Jedi, but then later she wasn't able to save Anakin Skywalker. Either way, it's really cool. Did, did you ever think we'd see like a 
a royal starship again in the Mandalorian in 2023, like a Padme super sleek silver shuttle racing through Coruscant? No, running away from clone troopers in in their little not tie fighter tie fighter ships that I can't remember what they're called. Yeah, no. If you would have told me this last year, I probably wouldn't have believed you. A week ago, I wouldn't. <laughs> if, if I if somebody would have told me that a week ago, I'd be like, yeah, "That's crazy." No, it's insane, and it's like, I don't know. It's just awesome on so many levels because it's you know it could have been anyone. They could have picked anyone, and and they they picked the the person that hits you in the gut. Well, and the thing too, if they're going back to Naboo, no matter who it is, especially if it's Senator Binks, if they were taking Grogu to hide at Odagunga, because it's a hidden city, like the droids couldn't find it in the Phantom Menace, like. If Grogu was kept there for, I don't know, however long, that is really awesome. Yeah, because, you know, based on the, was it the Aftermath book, it's like we have a little bit of insight of what Jar Jar's doing after uh, Return of the Jedi, and uh, he was helping kids. So, you know, if there's a little baby Jedi that needs help, I'm sure he would be first in line to feed him some frogs. That got me spiraling, too, thinking about the Gungans during the Galactic Civil War, if they, yeah, were just kind of hiding at Odagunga. And that's kind of like why we never see Gungans everywhere, because they were just like, we don't want anything to do with any of this. And if they were protecting Grogu down there. Makes sense. It reminds me of last week, too, when we were spiraling out of control, talking about like cloning and Strandcast and Ray's dad and what the heck is going on. It was again this morning where I was like, it's these prequel thoughts that I didn't think I would ever have watching The Mandalorian. But suddenly I'm thinking about like, what if Grogu was in Odagunga? And oh, my God, that makes sense why we don't see any Gungans anywhere. And, you know, I thought I thought those days were over. But yeah, this, I mean, yeah, this season of Mandalorian, it's, it is still, it's a roller coaster. It's a rocket roller coaster. Yeah, we're getting Star Wars goofy craziness and we're getting the deepest of the deep thoughts coming out of these episodes, which is great. It's like, that's, that's where I want to be. Somehow this show is made just for me. It feels like every time I'm watching it, it's like, how do you know what I like Mandalorian? Because somehow you always do. The thing I really love about Chapter 20, The Founding, is it's so nice after the last week's tragedy of Penn Pershing that this episode is kind of more hopeful and a little bit more positive. And I was almost kind of surprised at how hopeful and almost like heartwarming this episode is in a way. Yeah, it's like a perfect mix between just relentless action and like heartwarming family drama <laughs> because it is like it's super dads and sons and families and mixed with dinosaurs and dragon. <laughs> I was fully going into this episode expecting some sort of conflict between Bo-Katan and the, the children of the watch or Bo-Katan and the armorer. And maybe that's still coming. I don't know, but you almost kind of after this episode are kind of like, oh, maybe the armor is kind of okay. And because she was like really nice to Grogu and she really kind of accepted Bo-Katan into the group. There was a whole thing going on in this episode with kind of like family and coming together, healing the past. And it was just, if it was just a kind of refreshing kind of episode, especially after last week. Well, that's the thing I think's been so great with this season, and it really is, you know, John Favreau is pretty good at this, even though people like to give him a hard time about his writing. I think that's the point, like, is that the Children of the Watch really aren't as bad as we think they are as the viewers, and especially not as bad as Bo-Katan thinks they are. And it is almost like us watching the show, because especially if we watch Clone Wars and Rebels, it's like we kind of have seen Bo-Katan's story before. So it's like, if she says these people are a cult or, you know, not nice things, it kind of makes us think, Oh, we know we like Bo-Katan. She must know what she's talking about. But really it's kind of the whole thing where trying to teach kids really that like, just cause people are 
different and have different beliefs doesn't mean you can't get along and, and be friends, even if you don't believe the same things as them. And also just her kind of reconnecting with traditions of her, of the, the Mandalorians that maybe she had forgotten about. And yeah, they're kind of going out of their way to show that, hey, you know, they don't take their helmets off, which might seem weird to people who don't have helmets, but everything else about them, like they're all about taking care of their kids. They're all about taking care of each other. And they're actually good people. And they're actually being really nice to Bo-Katan and accepting her. And they even told her, you know, last episode, like, yeah, you know, if you want to leave, you can leave. You're not trapped here. So it's been interesting, yeah, kind of seeing them in this different light this season as as not necessarily the the crazy people that, that Din needs to escape from, uh, maybe that we thought in the past. It, you know what it, it was making me think of, surprise, surprise, Lando in disguise, of Qui-Gon with, because I started thinking about, like, well, what is this episode saying? Is it saying that, like, the cult of the children of the watch is okay and i was like well maybe it's that's like what you were saying that maybe it's not a cult it's just a family it's a group of people that support each other and was the jedi from a certain point of view a cult maybe and you think of something like qui-gon where he's like okay i'll play along but i'm gonna do my own thing and that got me thinking well is this where din's story is going because I I saw people criticizing this episode where it's just like oh Bo Katan's getting all this character stuff everybody's getting all this character stuff but our main character the Mandalorian Din isn't getting anything and it's like well the seasons this isn't the last episode of the season like we've got a like another half to go but maybe that's the point that it is like it's a family it's a found family what couldn't be called a cult from a certain point of view well and it's it's the whole star wars thing of it's all about finding the balance and it's like what that's been the problem with the mandalorians is there is two completely opposite factions that both think they're the 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 only true mandalorians and and bo's finding out that oh maybe they're not so different after all and i think with bo being there they're finding out the same thing about her like you know big vizsla didn't like her at all and now by the end of this episode like he she helped save his son so they're now all buddies like you said yeah i mean that's what it's all about big vizsla also didn't like mando and they're best buddies by the end of this and i think like the key part of kind of this episode is when the armorer is making the big medallion for grogu and she's comparing like what she's doing with forging the best car to like a personal change where she, what she says, like we refine ourselves through trials and adversity, the pain of the past and stuff. And it's, again, it's my broken record for this whole season. It's this whole kind of continuing thing of change. And literally that's what she's talking about in this moment that we change through learning and getting through that pain of the past. And, making yourself a better person from it. And I I just couldn't help thinking it's the thing that's been going on this whole season right there in that moment. You got to love it when there's the deep stuff and crammed somehow in these 30 minutes of outrageousness, there's just, yeah, wholesome, good natured family values really. And kind of just universal, like, Hey, you know, this is how life is all the Mandalorians are the same. They're all just people. It's literally the most outrageous thing in the world. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing with the Mandalorians too, I think again, going in with book of Boba Fett and, you know, people not maybe noticing how much that book of Boba Fett, even though it's not the Mandalorian and it's all about Boba Fett, like it's the same stories and the same kind of message. And it's like, Hey, we learned all about the Tuscans and how the Tuscans We all thought they were scary and weird and evil, but they're actually just people and they have families and and they don't take their masks off either. And everyone thinks they're cool now. So it's kind of like, huh, are the children on the watch really that different than Tuscans? That's just they're they just have different beliefs, but they still have families and friends and take care of each other. And they're still people in quotes because it's Star Wars. I don't I don't know if they're all people. They might be lizard men or something, but. You know what I mean. 
It's so good. Season three is bringing the hot stuff. That's all I'm saying. Because, yes, surrounding all of this is Mandalorians and dinosaurs, which we got a little taste of in the first episode. And it was like, ha, 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 that's awesome. It's Mandalorians and dinosaurs. But, no, they are not stopping with Mandos and dinos. And it's crazy. After the after the uh, Ahmed Best Grogu Coruscant craziness, it's like, oh my god, what are they going to do next? And then what they do next is even crazier. Every week, we don't know what's coming, and every week is bringing the heat. I lost five pounds today just from sweat. <laughs> just think, just thinking about the episode, not even watching, just thinking about it. Thank you guys, thank you. Yeah, you know, George um, years ago told me that this is how it was going to be. You know, when he said, he was like, the kids that grow up with Jar Jar, they're not even gonna think about all the criticism that happened back then. And as you watch the movies and each scene that Jar Jar's in, Jar Jar is just making everyone know and everyone believe that regardless of what you say to him what you do with him he will always be there for you and he'll never let you down yeah all right let's get into the chunky bits let's do what we do let's talk about all the madness going on in this episode in detail. I love that it just opens up on a beach with a bunch of Boba Fett's doing cool stuff. I was just sitting there watching it. And I was just like, man, it's a bunch of Boba Fett's doing a bunch of Boba Fett stuff. Oh, right. It's so insane. Yeah. It's just like dozens and dozens of Boba Fett's shooting rockets, shooting grappling hooks, fighting with knives, wrestling, just walking around, shooting grenades into the water. <laughs> yeah. This is like the ultimate Boba Fett beach party. It's like, again, somebody told me about this years ago. Like, you know what? In one day... There's going to be a Star Wars TV show where it's going to be a beach with a bunch of Boba Fett's on it doing Boba Fett stuff. Yep. Like everything you ever, everything Boba Fett can do, these Boba Fett's are going to be doing it on a beach. All at the same time. All of it. <laughs> and there's big Boba Fett's, there's little Boba Fett's, and there's lady Boba Fett's. I would have cryogenically frozen myself. Just, I was like, nothing can happen until the day that I, a TV show with a beach full of Boba Fett's comes out. <laughs> Uh, yeah <laughs> the wrestling really got me and then like there's like a coach boba fett it was like submission i was ready to tap out right there okay so then what it cuts to grogu sitting alone on the beach you think he's moving rocks but they're actually these cool little space snails it's a neat deep thing going on in this episode too where Maybe Grogu is feeling alone because he's a baby and he's whatever species he is. He's like Yoda species. And he's like, I don't have armor. I don't fit in with all these people. And it's Din who's like, come on, you're going to you're going to fit in. And like even the little kid, Rygar or whatever his name is, Rastan, you know, he doesn't have armor. Like, how can I do this? And they're like, doesn't matter. He can do cool stuff. And I love Din be saying to Grogu, like, I've seen what you can do. Din being 
being the uh, the proud dad trying to get him to show off his stuff. I love the dialogue in that scene too because it's so kind of just over the top, like Din arguing with a kid about Mandalorian nonsense. Why doesn't he wear a helmet? He is too young to speak the creed, and so too young to wear a helmet. Then he's too young to fight. One does not speak unless one knows. Is that not the creed? Well, I know. Perhaps this lesson is for you then. So before we get too far, too, we got to jump back and talk about Carl Weathers and how incredible of a of a human being he is. That it was so amazing that they put him in the show as a character because he's just such an awesome, just completely over the top actor in every way. And then they let him direct and he's doing some good stuff in this episode. And I think of all the directors they've had, it seems like he loves Grogu more than any of the other directors because he had all the great stuff in season two with Grogu in school and Grogu eating cookies and Grogu puking in the spaceship. And man, he is not afraid to just show the puppet. There is so much of just Grogu being Grogu in this episode. And yeah, it starts right here with, them putting the most ridiculous tiny little dart shooting thing on this little puppet hand. It's just and like not not cutting away like oh, we're going to show him. We're going to put this thing on this little puppet hand. There's so many parts of Grogu just walking in this episode, which I really appreciate it. Just Grogu just just walking through sand, walking just full frame close ups of his face of him just thinking about things and feeling things and, and making baby sounds. So what the kid Rastan goes, he's, he's beaten. So he goes to reflect on the beach and out of nowhere, a giant dragon comes by and swoops him up, which I was like, what is going on on this beach? Because Rastan was in the water having a ceremony and a giant dr- dragon thing came out of, or a big like crocodile dinosaur came out of the water and tried to eat him in the first episode. And now this dragon comes and picks him up and puts him in his nest. Like they've got to go somewhere else. But that's the other thing where it's kind of like, you know, the show sometimes is like trying to give you the, the impression that, oh, these children are the watch, you know, they're, they're fanatics, they're crazy people. But it's like, they have a hard life. They were before they were like living in the sewer and now they had to escape and they're living on this planet. Yeah. Where there's dinosaurs trying to eat their kids all the time because yeah, they go after them and it's like, Oh yeah. All the other times they stole kids, we shot them and they killed the kids. So like, don't shoot them this time. And then let's just, let's try to chase them with our jetpacks. I love big Vizsla is just kind of like, yeah, this always happens. This is the way it goes. And we run yeah. out of fuel and we can't chase it. It's like, with. I would be like, wait, this has happened before and you guys are still here. Well, that's the other thing with this episode, too. It's like, okay, not only is there this beach full of Boba Fett's and dinosaurs, but there's so many scenes of Mandalorians like landing very ungracefully, which is just like I can't get enough of Mandalorians like trying to land, but they don't. They, they don't have enough fuel, so they just, like, kind of fall and land really clumsily. Like, there's so much of that in this episode. It's kind of, I just can't get enough. So then what Bo-Katan takes off in her ship, and there's this gorgeous shot of Bo-Katan's ship chasing after the dragon with the sun. So what then, Bo knows where it is, another thing that Bo knows. And she, she's like, here's where the nest is. They look at a hologram map, which is always a treat. Anytime you get a hologram map and they, they get a hunting party together. And don't forget the armor is like, you're going to bring the shriek Hawk training team, the shriek Hawks. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that's what, that's what the dragon's called, right? A shriek Hawk. Oh, maybe. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Cause I thought maybe that was just like a cool name for the, for the Mandalorian squad. They're the shriek Hawks, <laughs> but I guess maybe that's what they call the, the dino bird so they have a team trained to uh, fight it if i if i ever coach a, a a kids like team which probably will never happen but if i ever do we're gonna they're gonna be called the shriek hawks so everybody leaves right and the armor is just like don't worry grogu you're too little to go after them but uh we've got work to do and then we get that, that gorgeous shot of grogu walking and the armorer 
is working on the forge. Yeah, and we get the armor's deep talk, which heavy metaphor on what this whole episode is actually about. This is the forge. It is the heart of Mandalorian culture. Just as we shape the Mandalorian steel, we shape ourselves. We all begin as raw ore. We refine ourselves through trials and adversity. The forge can reveal weaknesses. Well, and another Carl Weathers moment there is when she's talking about the forge and how it, you know, smashes out impurities and finds weaknesses or whatever. And the camera is like behind the, the forge smashing thing. And you see Grogu in between the smashing, almost like Grogu's being smashed by the forge as he's like remembering his past and freaking out, seeing the sparks. And then, yeah, the flash Grogu's flashback and our, our prequel loving hearts never never knew something mad this magical would come it's something we didn't talk about in the the beginning of this episode too in the end credits it says clone troopers are played by tem so i think it's just the voices because i freaked out a little bit at the when i saw that too i was like did they actually have tem come in and put the suits on but i think it's just because he did all the voices but maybe (laughs) i was i was (laughs) Until until it is proven otherwise, I'm going to believe that there's some kind of trickery going on and template all the clone troopers. You're probably right that they were they're just probably stunt people in those suits. But I was looking at the suits and the way they're moving, and maybe I was just tricking myself, like telling myself what I wanted to hear. But I was like, oh, it kind of looks like Tem. But I was so into it that I was just like, oh. And I, I just liked hearing his voice too, his clone troopers. Just yeah, that little extra bit of of prequel prequel fun and hey it's it's book of boba is is part of the same show so it all goes together and get to see the inside of a elevator in the jedi temple which we never got to see i was like man that would that's cool never seen that before that's really neat well and it's fun that you know it's kind of like as much as uh the live action shows are are, are kind of doing all the fun stuff story-wise that the animated shows did. And they're also starting to do the fun stuff to kind of save money in cool ways. Like the chase through Coruscant goes through all the sets from the previous episode from Dr. Pershing on Coruscant, which is kind of cool. It's like they're getting their money's worth from all that stuff, but it's also fun to just see those sets again because they go past the rock and the train station. And it's like what we were saying last week with, seeing Coruscant again in the Mandalorian and instantly thinking of Andor, but thinking about it in a story kind of way, these things have always existed. These things exist. We know this is the end of the clone wars and these things exist and they exist after the fall of the empire. And just, yeah, these famous places in Coruscant that have seen all this history. I don't know. It just gets my mind racing thinking about like, the galaxy overall and you know how things change but things stay the same and the 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 poetry it rhymes of it all something else though at the end with the nabu guards where i was freaking out the nabu royal guards the sounds of their blasters take the ship it's sealed and ready to go come on that was what kind of snapped me out of my it this I'm just imagining all this too. It's like no, those are like prequel blaster sounds. If you were just hallucinating because you hadn't taken a breath for the past 15 minutes, you wouldn't have heard any sound. So the fact that you could hear those sounds, okay, I'm alive. I I have been breathing, and this is for real. Whoever was responsible for that is. Are we are we looking at you, David Collins? Are we looking at you, Matthew Wood? Whoever whoever's responsible for that, thank we say thank you for those Nabu blaster sounds. Sweet 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 music. 
sweet, 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 sweet music. <sighs> Number one on the pop charts. <laughs> so we're back to the armor, the big medallion for Grogu's chest. And I love how she just kind of just like presses it on Grogu's chest. Well, and it, and it it didn't really sink in, I think, until the second time watching it, too. Like, I think that's supposed to be like would be his shoulder thing, but he's too small to have the shoulder thing. So she just made it flat and put it on his chest so he can show off his uh, what house, what family he is. But I swear to God, like a week ago, like whatever, during Book of Boba Fett, I, w- I think I was like really like, I don't think the armor is a good person. I think the armor is crazy. I think the armor is bad. Maybe that's Rook Cast in there. Rook Cast is up to no good. This whole thing's up to no good. Five minutes of her being sweet with Grogu. And I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of into the armor. <laughs> and the whole thing with this season two of the Mandalorian is now Grogu. And it's all about like, there's this little green Yoda baby alien who's a foundling and he wants to be a Mandalorian and it doesn't matter if he's tiny and has giant ears and can't talk. They're accepting him and they're training him in their, in their ways and teaching them their beliefs and building him tiny little armor. You know, he's got his shirt, he's got his thing. And it's just like, it's kind of cool that, you know, we had the Jedi, which were all different kinds of aliens and humans and creatures and things and now it's like hey mandalorian's the same thing anybody or anything can be a mandalorian if they want to and now you know we're seeing all that with this little baby yoda grogu said no to luke skywalker luke skywalker gave him the choice luke skywalker offered him yoda's lightsaber and grogu's just like now pass yeah and it's because he loves Din, he loves his dad. And that's like the story that's coming along in this series. And it's really kind of cool. And I feel like sometimes that's kind of lost on people. Like what is really going on in this story that it, in its its core, it's very soft. It's very Star Wars. It's about love and family at its core. Well, and Din is different this season because this season is Din sharing his his culture, his beliefs, his his life before Grogu with his son. Like he's sharing. Din didn't really share much about himself in the other two seasons. And he didn't really realize how much he loved little Grogu till the end of season two. And now, you know, he knows that. And now he's showing that love by sharing his culture with his child. And what's got me thinking, too, though, is we're halfway through with season three, and we still, before we get back to talking about all the chunky bits, there's still not really an antagonist for this season. We got hints of Gideon last week, and if Gideon suddenly shows back up, if Gideon figures out where Boba Fett Beach Party is, and if Gideon goes back to his quest of getting Grogu, which that's what Gideon wants. He wants Grogu. Then things are going to get really, really, really interesting. Yeah, and I still, man, they're doing such a good job of keeping us guessing is there's still part of me that thinks that Gideon's not even going to be back till season four, that they're just taking the season off with Gideon and we're going to get another Mandalorian faction that shows up that's going to mess up all this harmony that we're we're finding or Bo's other Mandalorian friends are going to show up and and be mad at Bo for like being friends with the children of the watch or the pirates might come back like I want to see Gideon but it also wouldn't surprise me if if we don't but we did get the hints of the empire and somebody bombed her house so yeah there's something going on well that was a fleet of interceptors that showed up right before they jumped to hyperspace last week. So that's from a star destroyer and someone knew where they were and sent all those interceptors out. So there's, there's someone on their trail and they're kind of goofing around, saving kids from giant birds. There's someone after them. Got a lot more to go over in this episode though. So then what they're at, they're at a campfire. It's so sad. Being children of the watch, they have to go eat a can of sardines by themselves off somewhere. It's like it's time to eat. Take your sardine can and go hide somewhere so you can take your helmet off and eat alone. How do you eat when other people are around? You don't. When you get your food, 
you go off to find a place where you can take off your helmet. Which I, you know, when they said that, I was like, that makes total sense to me. Because, you know, like in a, like a public school, like high school or something, like, oh, man, do I have to, like, talk to all these people? I just want to eat alone. Yeah. All right. So maybe it's not so sad. So, yeah. So maybe that I was misinterpreting uh, Bo's reaction. It, she wasn't sad about it. She was like, huh, this is kind of awesome. <laughs> She's, no, no one's going to hear me fart after I eat all these sardines. A camel creature waves its tail. But again, this moment with Bo kind of feeling alone and isolated, even though they said being able to sit by the fire was a great honor, the the performance Katie Sackhoff gives when you get to see her face, which is kind of a genius moment, is kind of, she's alone in this moment and she's feeling left out, just like Grogu was in the beginning. And I like how at the end of this episode, just like how the armorer accepted Grogu into the group and made him the big medallion, the armorer's just like, oh, Bo, you're missing a shoulder thing. I'll make you a new one. Come on. We're all we're all cool here. So Bo gives the plan. They're going to go in stealth to get the kid from the, the dinosaur bird's nest. And then you got a bunch of Boba Fett's going up the side of a mountain. Know. And you know what? I never get tired of watching it. It's literally just, yeah, Boba Fett's climbing a mountain and it's incredible. They've got grappling hooks and they're jumping around and they're just climbing stuff. And it's just like, that's where Boba Fett's are meant, what, that's what they're meant to do. They're meant to climb stuff with those ropes. <laughs> you got Big Vizsla climbing a mountain with his big old thing on his back, some giant tube hanging off him. His giant gun that he can't use because they can't use the gun or the or the giant dino bird will will kill the kid, but he's gotta bring it anyway because it's attached to his jetpack, so he he's just stuck with it. <laughs> Even though he can't use the jetpack. So they get to the nest, yeah, and it's a it's it's this giant dinosaur bird nest. Like something straight out of the whole thing was like straight out of like a Ray, Harry, Ray Harryhausen movie. It, the minute the dinosaur showed up and stole the kid, I was like, man, this is this is battle for Endor. This is totally <laughs> battle for Endor. And the, even the way the, the, the shot is composited, it kind of looks like battle for Endor. It's like it's just slightly battle for Endor looking with the big thing flying with a kid in its hands. But then even before all that, too, there's three babies in the nest, three baby birds. And in comes the mom, and this was outrageous, where the mom literally spits out Rastan. Yeah, I know. And he immediately starts screaming. This is so crazy. Yeah, it's so crazy. Help me! Help me! She's alive! Big Vizsla in a giant bird nest with three naked baby dinosaur bird babies and a kid in a Boba Fett helmet getting spit up by a dinosaur. And then it just gets crazy. And then it's like a bunch of Mandalorians chasing after a dragon thing. But I got to tell you, though, the visual effects, the VFX in this whole Mando's chasing a giant dinosaur sequence is so cool. They're like zooming in on the Mando helmets and zooming in on the bird not like I know anything about visual effects, but like the physics of them flying and stuff. I, literally, I'm like, what am I even like? How, what? How did they film this? What am I looking at? Like Star Wars on TV, the level that they're working on is just incredible. Yeah, because it's action packed. It's super intense. The camera's kind of shaking, but you can still tell what's going on. And yeah, so many zooms. It kind of reminded me of the of the big. Uh, rescue and was that an Iron Man three when all the people fell out of the plane? Or was that Iron Man two? That was three. Yeah, Big Vizsla trying to shoot fire and what Bo-Katan stabs the bird in the eye, and and just when you can't take it anymore, and the Dino Bird falls into the water and you think it's coming back. No, it just gets eaten by the snapping turtle crocodile from the first episode, just because. You just yeah, you just accept it. You're just like that's this Be Boba Fett beach party planet that they're on. So there's another gratuitous shot 
of Bo's ship landing. We didn't even talk about that. That there's like 45 shots in just this 30 minute episode of Bo's ship landing and like her little like walkway landing thing coming out. Well, it's like they know that we've only seen these ships in the animated shows. So we're going to make up for all this lost time and show the Mandalorian ship as much as possible, taking off and landing and flipping its wings around and just being cool overall. It's a bunch of Mandalorians cheering, clanging their wrist things together. I was already like, I don't know. I, I was floating six inches off my couch at this point, not even imagining what was going to come next. So what happened when you saw the the Mandalorians come out with a with a stick and with some with some meat on it, and then the and then the baby birds coming out? And we have brought you three more foundlings in need of care and training. Is that so? Where were they inside Bo's ship? Who cares? No time to think about that. But then it's like. So they say they need care and training. So are we talking about eventually there's going to be Mandalorians flying baby birds? I think so. Dino birds with armor because they get to give some of their their armor, some of their, their money to the kids, to the foundlings, and they build them armor. So if little Grogu's getting armor, these baby dino birds are going to get armor. It's, <laughs> and we know, we know this show is not afraid to do anything. And if they're hinting that there's going to be Mandalorians flying on dinosaur birds, then I'm pretty sure it might take two years. We're going to see Mandalorians flying on dinosaur birds. It goes back to the old George Lucas drafts. Somebody's always got to be flying on something. Yeah. Was it the old, like, the adventures of Luke Starkiller? Luke was flying around on, like, a dragon bird. Yeah, and I still love so much that, you know, now you know, technically four seasons into these this show that they're still – sticking to this show is based on the holiday special. And it's like, what did Boba Fett do in the holiday special? He rode on giant things and there has to be dinosaurs as much as there are Mandalorians and star Wars stuff. So then Bo and the armorer go and chat and she makes her new shoulder thing, which it's really cool because I started thinking about it and I was like, what's the one thing that all the Mandalorians can agree on? It's armor. It's like this armor is your life. It's everything you, you know, you can take your helmet on and off, but you don't take off your armor ever. And this shoulder thing that the armorer makes her is now forever part of Bo-Katan. And I was like, that that's really kind of neat that this, time she spends with this children of the watch which maybe wasn't as cultish as we thought it's forever part of her that's it's pretty cool well and it's also she's transitioning from being all about her her night owlness to now having the symbol of all mandalorians and not just you know her clan or her family she's now slowly becoming all mandalorians and now she has the symbol of all mandalorians on on half of her. Yeah, we refine ourselves through trials and adversity. And that's exactly what is going on with Bo-Katan here. It's again, change, broken record, 75 millionth time I've said that. So then Bo-Katan starts to tell the armorer her most deepest, darkest secret, her Bo-Katan secrets. Starts talking about the mythosaur. What would you say if I told you I saw one? That you saw what? A mythosaur. I would say you are very lucky. It is a noble vision. No. I I mean a real one. Beneath the living waters on Mandalore. When you choose to walk the way of the Mandalore, You will see many things. But it was real. This is the way. And I love the armorer through that is just like, yeah, okay, sure. sure, I bet you did. You you saw it, you know. (laughs) I almost wonder if some of this conversation, too, is the armorer starting to come around to believing Bo-Katan 
as much as it seems like Bo-Katan's starting to kind of come around to accepting the children of the watch. Cause it's almost like she seemed skeptical of Din when he's like, well, I'm just going to go to the mines of Mandalore. I don't care. And then he did it. And now, you know, her saying, well, I, I saw this thing, but on the, on the other hand, it's almost like maybe the armor knew that they were going to do it. Like, you know, she acted that way with Din because she knew Din would do it and no one else would. So maybe she knows more than she lets on. And this is kind of like all part of her plan, too. I don't know. When Bo is just looking at the, the regal robot Mythosaur skull on the wall and they say that the, the Mythosaur, it's fine if you want the Mythosaur, you know, signet on your on your shoulder because that belongs to all Mandalorians. Not just the Night Owls, the Death Watch, whatever stuff Bo was doing in the past. And it's almost like Bo keeps her past on one shoulder and her future on the other. And the future is all Mandalorians with the Mythosaur. And obviously, it, you get the sense that Bo cannot stop thinking about the Mythosaur. And she's just dying to to tell someone about it. And the, the fact that she told the armorer but Din doesn't know still that she saw the mythosaur, but the armorer does. Everybody's changing. It just makes me really wonder where this is going in the future. Like in future episodes, we've got what? Four more left. Yeah, we're halfway through the season. Grogu is a Mandalorian. Bo-Katan is freaking out wants to talk about the myth story she's got to get back there what does that mean where's din's story going yeah will gideon show up again gory and shard are the pirates coming back what is going on with that like it sure seems like it from the the trailers there's still the droid bar to come there's a lot more to come and like we said over and over again it's the great thing, especially with this season. This season is different than the previous two seasons. We've said that where it's more of one kind of contained story, even with the tragedy of Penn Pershing last week. But even though it's one big story, we don't know where the heck this is going at any minute. Not even week to week, like while watching the show, you don't know where it's going. Well, it is almost like the first episode kind of reset the pieces of here's where everybody is and this is what's going to happen. And now four episodes in, it's kind of a reset again because everybody's back together. At least all the the Mandalorians or half the Mandalorians now are all back together and ready to kind of see where the story takes all of them at this point because now they're kind of all together. They're united, too. They're all kind of working together. They're a big family now, which I never, like I said, never would have seen that coming. I really thought there was going to be like some sort of animosity or conflict between these groups or something. But I love that they're taking this route with it. Yeah. And it makes sense now why in the preview we see them all kind of fighting together on uh, Navarro possibly like, you know, if something happens and, and Din needs to go help, he's not going to go alone. He's got, he's got his, his family again with him and they all helped him in season one. I mean, they've, they've been kind of looking out for each other since the beginning. Well, I can't wait. No matter what happens, we're going to be here again next week talking about this. We're, we're riding the Mandalorian train. Space train, Coruscant train, all the way till the end. Everywhere we look, we're seeing mythosaurs. Everywhere we look, there's dinosaur babies. I can't wait till summer so I can go to Boba Fett Beach and wrestle somebody. Put on a helmet and just wrestle anybody who wants to wrestle a Mandalorian. Let's do it. Submission. <laughs>
too deep to just make me smile. Star Wars underoos are here, yeah! Something out of sight in underwear. Don't be so ridiculous, R2. Underoos are for Earthlings. This is Captain Rex. You're listening to Jason and Gabe on Blast Points. And these blast points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial Stormtroopers are so precise. with Apple Podcast Reviews. When you get done listening to this, we'd love it if you could leave us a review over there. Helps more people find Blast Points when they're looking up Star Wars podcasts or shows that are talking about The Mandalorian. And if you listen on Spotify, we'd love it if you left us a little five-star review over there, too. And check out our website, BlastPointsPodcast.com, and make sure you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you're in our super chill group. And if you want to support the show in a different way, we've got the Blast Points Army on the Patreon, where in a matter of days, we'll have our Bad Batch episode for Pabu and Tipping Point, and then... I can't believe that the Bad Batch season two is almost done. Like this episode will come out and then just a few days or something after that is the two part Bad Batch season two finale. Yeah. Next Wednesday is going to be insane with a double dose of Bad Batch and Mandalorian. Don't even go to sleep (laughs) Just stay up all night. And maybe you've heard that. Celebration London is right around the corner. And although we will not be in London, we're still doing Celebration Madness, where we are teaming up with Silver from the incredible Star Wars thrifting. And we're going to be doing like live streams every day from my basement in Michigan, where we're going to be talking about all the things that happened at Celebration, all the reveals, all the... I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to have special guests. Maybe somebody's going to be bringing a guitar. I don't know. We're going to be doing something. It might work. It might not work. It might be awesome. It might be horrible. But whatever it is, it's going to be something. And we're going to be making it happen. It's all going to be going down on the Blast Points YouTube channel, which it's like Palpatine. It's back from the dead. (laughs) It never really left. It's just been in hiding. It was on Exegol, just waiting with a bunch of people in the stands on black cloaks waiting. So, But you'll be able to watch along with us, hopefully, and comment along with all the madness going on with us and Silver from Star Wars Thrifting. And I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. You're going to be here. We're going to be hanging out in person. You can watch us. What's really going to be great is Monday, if we're still alive, and what color our skin is, if our skin is green. Or maybe by Monday we'll hate each other. Shut up! You you may see the death of Blast Points in real time. You're not even funny. Stop it. Get out of here. But this is my house. I don't care. You leave. I've known you for too long. <laughs> I'm over it. <laughs> so something to look forward to. But that wraps up the 350th episode of Blast Points. Talking about the foundling. We'll be back next week. Yeah, I think I'm going to go lay down. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. (laughs) So we'll talk to everybody then. Thank you all so much for listening. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you.
Mira, 